Good morning. Happy New Year. Let's uh, pray as we get into John chapter 6. Have that passage open and your outline, and we'll look at it together. Gracious Father, help us to be wise and pay attention to your works, and help us to consider your acts of faithful love. Help us to see now this sign Jesus performs, and to see what it points to about his glory. Give us faith in him, and help us to live for him, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to walk on water? Well, if you do, for just $20,000, you can walk on water with an electric surfboard, uh, or flight board, or foil board, that's what these things get called. Uh, These are the products that are touted as the closest thing that you can get to walking on water. It actually looks pretty fun, doesn't it, if you're athletic enough to achieve that. Uh, I'm not suggesting, though, that we go out and spend $20,000 on one of these. Uh, well, today is actually is kind of fitting because we're in our summer series, and so this is nice and summery, uh, yet we're also looking at Jesus' miracle of walking on the water. So it's, you know, it's, it's a nice beachy time of year to be thinking about Jesus walking on the beach, uh, or walking on the water of the beach. Uh, So, where are we? We're back in our summer series in John's Gospel. We've had two weeks off for Christmas and New Year's, and now we're looking at these signs, these miracles of Jesus again uh, in John's Gospel. And by now, hopefully, we have it really clear in our minds why John is telling us about these signs. See, remember what he says. He says, these signs are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. See, the signs lead to belief in Jesus, which then lead to life in Jesus. These signs of Jesus, they point us to something about him, something of his glory. They show us he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And if we believe in him, if we believe what the signs are pointing to about him, if we trust ourselves in him, well, then we receive the life that he promises to give us eternal life, life in abundance. And so we pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, life where we know God now, and then life that flows into eternity of knowing God and being known by him, of loving God and being loved by him. So we've seen these various signs over the last few weeks. Uh, We've seen the first sign of water into wine. We've seen the second and third signs of Jesus healing people. And last time when we looked at uh, John's gospel, we saw the fourth sign. Jesus multiplied the bread for the multitude. He fed the 5,000. And our passage today, Jesus walking on the water, this passage comes in the middle of that chapter about feeding the 5,000. In fact, it's right in the middle. These five short verses, what comes before it is Jesus feeding the multitude, the 5,000, with bread. And then what comes straight after it is Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. He feeds them with bread. Then he says, I'm the bread that gives life. And so you kind of have to ask the question, well, why is this short passage in the middle? Why did Jesus do this miracle at this point? And why did John write it out for us here? Is John trying to tell us something, show us something? by putting it in the middle here. I think he is. I think we'll see how it fits together more as we explore this short passage and this powerful miracle. We'll see what the sign points to and uh, we'll see Jesus' glory. So let's get into the story together. The first part of the passage sees the disciples in darkness. So look at verse 16 with me. When evening came, it's night, 
his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. So where is Jesus? He's in Galilee. He's just multiplied the bread. He's fed the 5,000. If you remember, the people tried to respond by forcing him to be king. They wanted him to be their political leader and provide for them. But Jesus wouldn't have that. He refuses. He won't do it. And so the crowds dissipate. And at this point, Jesus and his disciples part way for a time. Jesus goes one way. The disciples Go the other. Jesus goes up a mountain to be alone and pray, but he sends his disciples away in their boat across the sea, the Sea of Galilee. I'll meet you over the other side, he tells them. And John tells this happens at night. It's evening as they've set out. The sun has gone down and the disciples, they're crossing the sea. Darkness had already set in, he says. John really wants us to know that this is happening in the dark. Now, this wouldn't really be that much of a problem for the disciples. A bunch of them were fishermen, and so they were very used to sailing these waters. They, were, they would fish in the dead of night all the time. They lived in Galilee. They were professionals. So at this stage, the disciples probably aren't that worried. They're just crossing the sea, as Jesus said. So why does John make the big deal about darkness, about it being night? I think he's trying to show us something, because Jesus is about to come into this dark scenario. And this is John, again, drawing out the theme of darkness and light in his gospel. And we see Jesus preaching throughout John's gospel about darkness and light. So just look at how John starts his gospel and what it says about Jesus, about him being light. It says, life was in him, Jesus, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. And a few verses later, the true light, Jesus, who, comes, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. See, Jesus is the one who comes as light in our dark world. He's the one who brings life, spiritual life, to a spiritually dead and dark world. So here in John 6, John starts to give us this hint. Here is darkness. Jesus, the light, is coming. He's coming in to shine in this darkness. So he hasn't yet come to them on the water. Did you notice it said that? He hadn't yet come to them. Jesus seems to have already planned this all out, hasn't he? Uh, he plans to come in the middle of the water and walk on it. He's actually planned this whole situation so he can reveal his glory to the disciples. But the disciples, they don't just face darkness where they are. Uh, it seems Jesus has more to this plan because the disciples also face danger. They may have been fined across the sea at night, but then the situation takes a turn. Look at verse 18. Then a high wind arose and the sea began to churn. The Sea of Galilee, it's this huge body of water. It's 21 kilometers by 13 kilometers. It's kind of prone to bad weather and dangerous conditions sometimes. And so suddenly the disciples, they're not just in darkness. They're also now in danger. It's all going wrong for the disciples. They're just trying to cross the sea. But now they've got this strong wind coming against them. Uh, verse 19 says, if you look there, they got three or four miles across and they're rowing all that way, rowing against the wind. They're out in the middle of the sea going nowhere fast all through the night. For hours, they row and row and row to get to the other side. It sounds awful to me. I don't know if you like rowing or 
marathon kind of exercise. I do not. Um, I, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, what's it like for us today, this situation the disciples were in? I think it's kind of like when we're driving and you, you hit every single red light. Uh, and then there's an accident, and so the traffic banks up. And then there's roadworks, and so there's a detour. And then you get a flat tire, and so you have to change that. And then you finally arrive to where you're going, and there's no parks. And so you, you know, maybe you just turn around and drive home. <laughs> this is like what the disciples are facing. They're stuck. This situation is totally against them. But it's now that Jesus' plan can come to fruition. See, this was his plan all along. It's now that Jesus can come to them with a sign and reveal his glory to them. Now, at this point, we have to kind of defamiliarize ourselves with the whole story, uh, if you know the story. And uh, what we need to do is put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. Because at this point, how are the disciples going? They're tired. They're exhausted. They're sleep-deprived. They're not really sure if they're going to get to land safely. And it's dark. They can barely see. Maybe they just have a little bit of light from the moon and stars. Or maybe just you know, a little flicker of a firelight on, on the coast where the towns are. In this darkness, they're surrounded by a churning sea and the wind kind of slamming their boat and rushing past and through them. And they've just been doing this for hours. They're doing everything they can to, to row, pushing the boat through the water, just trying to stop it from being pushed backwards by the wind. It's this difficult and dark and tired situation, dangerous situation, that verse 19 happens. Just picture it in your mind and how, how you would react. Verse 19. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat and they were afraid. You see, they may have been a bit afraid of the situation, but now they're really afraid. Now they are terrified. Because in the darkness and the chaos of this circumstance, what do they see? A man. <laughs> the figure of a man. But this man isn't swimming in the water or being tossed around. He's standing on top of the water, on top of the waves. So out in the middle of the sea as it churns, the wind rushing around them, this man stands on top of the water and he's coming towards them. Like, it's kind of like something out of a horror movie, isn't it? And so they're, they're rightly afraid, and you would be too. Uh, who can do what Jesus is doing? No one can do that. And so their only conclusion is this is a ghost or a spirit that's coming to get us. Because who can do what this man is doing? No one. Who can walk on the water as if it were dry ground? Who can pass through, through the chaos of wind and waves unaffected? The disciples have battled in their boat for hours. Jesus just strolls through. Whoever this figure is, he is to be feared. But Jesus is not there to bring fear. Look at what he says in verse 20. Uh, this is Jesus coming to help his disciples, not harm them. He comes to bring peace, not fear. Verse 20, but he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. So he shows them who he is. It's me, guys. I'm, I'm not a ghost. It's your Lord. It's your Savior. I'm here to help you. I'm not here to harm you. But I actually think he's revealing just, uh, really more, revealing more than just that it's him, Jesus, their master, their friend. Because Jesus literally says to them, I am. When, when he says, it is I, it's literally, I am. Do you know the significance of that phrase 
in the Old Testament. I am is one of the ways that God defines himself, identifies himself in the Old Testament. When God revealed himself in the burning bush to Moses, what did he say? He said, Moses, go and tell my people that I am has sent you. And so Jesus is here just giving another hint, another piece of evidence of his divine identity. He is God. Yahweh, the God of Israel, stands here on the water. I am is here in the flesh. Now, I'm not sure the disciples would have fully got that in the moment. But just piece together the evidence in the situation. The fact that Jesus comes to them walking on water with power over creation, like God. And the fact that he's powerful over the wind and the waves and he, and he walks through them and once he gets into the boat, will they all die down? And the fact that he's, he's planned this whole situation so that he could reveal his glory. Those things combine with him saying, I am. The disciples may not have fully got it, but Jesus is revealing his divinity, that he's God in the flesh. But on top of that, he says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Now, if Jesus is God himself, if he is Lord over all, even the wind and the waves, and he can just control them, well, he should be feared. We should fear the one who has power and authority like this. But his disciples need not fear him. Because he comes to his disciples to help them, not to harm them. He comes because he is for them. See, this is the other thing that Jesus wanted to reveal to his disciples that night. They think he's a ghost. The reality is he is more fearsome than a ghost. He's the Lord. In one sense, fear is the right response to Jesus. We see people fear Jesus in the Gospels all the time. But what does Jesus say to his disciples? It is I. Don't be afraid. Fear not, I am for you, I am with you, I am coming to you. What do you have to fear if the Messiah, if the Lord of all, the great I am, is with you and for you? See, fear is a normal part of this broken world and life in this fallen world. It's part of our human condition since Adam. But I think that we, we modern Christians, we let fear run rampant in our lives we put up with too much fear we fear too many things too much of the time we're worried and we're anxious about too much we settle for fear and worry because we fail to see Jesus and his glory and his love and let those things cast our fear out see we often don't obey Jesus command not to fear those who can kill the body but instead fear the one who can destroy the soul in hell God and we fail to trust him and take the comfort and assurance that even though he's the one who rightly should be feared, he says, don't be afraid. What is it that you fear in your life? Do you have a right fear of Jesus as the Lord? Do you have a right fear of Jesus in his majesty, but also an awareness, a sense of his love for you as a disciple, an awareness that his love puts all of your other fears into perspective. See, Jesus' care, his concern for his disciples, the, the life that he gives you at the cost of his own life, it puts all those fears into perspective. 
shows you that those fears are, are futile, meaningless, even foolish. See, why would we fear? Why would we fear anything? <laughs> if this Lord, who can walk on the water, who can calm the sea, who can turn the wind on and off, the Lord of all is for us. See, our fear of things in this world, it's a reality of our fallen existence. It won't go away fully and finally until Jesus comes in glory to calm all our fears. But shouldn't we at least try to, to see things as they should be now? That Jesus alone is to be feared, but he loves us. So the things that might threaten us in life, they're not to be feared, not worth fearing. How do you need to change your view of the things that you fear? Jesus is to be feared, but he's with you. He's for you. He comes for you. You're his disciple, so don't be afraid. Well, the story concludes in verse 21, just five verses after it started. It is I, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Then verse 21, then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. The disciples, they faced darkness and danger, but Jesus comes to them. That The churning sea and the wind, they're all gone now. And they get to the shore effortlessly. See, this is another aspect of the sign, the miracle. Uh, Jesus was in control of the whole situation. I think he sent the disciples across the sea on purpose. He put them in this situation so he could come and reveal his glory and calm the sea and get them safely to the shore. He planned it all. Because he wanted to show them he was for them. He was with them. He's the Lord of all. So now the sea is calm. The circumstances are resolved. But I wonder what was in the hearts of the disciples as they walked out of that boat. Wouldn't they be thinking, who is this man? Or I just can't believe what I just saw. Did, did I really see that? Did Jesus really just walk on the water to us? Did that really happen? And what does that mean? I think that should make us stop and reflect. What does this show us about Jesus? What does the sign, the miracle point to? Why does John write it for us? Remember, John, he writes so that we might believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But what does this sign in particular point to? This sign, the walking on water, the whole situation that Jesus is control of, in control of, it shows us Jesus is the Lord and he is light and rescue. See, we've seen these things along the way, but now let's draw it all together to see it clearly. See, first of all, Jesus is Lord. That's undeniable. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as we've kind of gone through the signs of Jesus in John's gospel, it kind of seems like each one is more amazing than the, than the previous one. I think that's true here. Yes, the other signs are incredible, but here we see just him ramp it up a notch to show he's in control of, over creation. He's Lord of all creation. And just think about that for a moment. Think about, think about the sea or the ocean. Uh, in Jesus' day, and for many places and cultures, and even to this day, the sea, the ocean, is a place of great power and great danger, of fear and mystery. Even today, humanity is struck by the uncontainable power of the sea and the threat that it is to our life and existence. Why do you think lifesavers exist? Because we're in constant threat just from this little bit of shallow water that we step into on the very edge of the ocean. The sea, the ocean, is immeasurably powerful, dangerous. 
Yet Jesus walks on top of it. He stirs up the wind, he churns the waves, and then he says, stop, and they do. No wonder the disciples were terrified of Jesus. He's the Lord. You see, it's so easy to take the fact that Jesus is Lord for granted. It's easy for it to slip off our tongue. Jesus is Lord. That's what we believe. But do we grasp the magnitude, the weight of his lordship? Are we in awe of Jesus, the Lord of all? Let's not let that truth slip through our fingers. When John says things like, all things were created through him, And when Paul says similar things, by him all things were made, through and for him. They all hold together. When Hebrews says he sustains all things just with his powerful word, shouldn't we be in awe of Jesus, God in the flesh, the great I am who can walk on the water, who comes to us in human form. I pray that the weight of his glory, that his lordship would be on our hearts and minds every day. Do we think of him this way? Do do we have that right fear of him as the Lord of all? But remember, as his disciples, we don't fear harm from him. He says, don't be afraid. Yes, Jesus is Lord. He is to be feared, but he's not to be feared at the same time if we're his disciple. Because if you're his disciple, then, then he is for you. He is with you. He is our light and our rescue. So you remember what John says, Jesus is the light of life, eternal life. He's the light that shines in the darkness. That is, he's the one who brings God's salvation, eternal life. That's what the light is to those who live in darkness, to those who live in this fallen world, to those who are under God's condemnation for our sin. It's these people who can receive life, light from Jesus. And you can kind of see that's why this chapter, this, these sorry, few verses are in the middle of the chapter. Because Jesus fed the 5,000 and then he said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who feeds you and sustains you for eternal life. And then there's this little miracle of Jesus giving life again, giving light and rescue to our darkness and our danger. This is why the miracle happens here in this chapter. In this world, before Jesus returns, We'll face all sorts of dangers and sorrows. But Jesus is the one who is with us in these struggles. And Jesus is the one who will ultimately give us real and true and eternal life. He will rescue us from all those things. Maybe he won't rescue us in the moment from those things we face. That would be to misread the sign. This is not Jesus promising to rescue us from all danger or sickness or trouble just like he rescues the disciples here. No, no, the sign points beyond itself to something greater, that ultimately he rescues us from death, from condemnation, and gives us life eternal. So he brings us from death to life, and he'll one day raise us to, to abundant life in his kingdom forever. No one else can do that, and no one else has. During the week, I was reflecting on this, and it made me think of the example of Paul and his words in 2 Timothy 4. See, Paul is the model example of someone who faced danger, isn't he? Troubles, hardships, darkness. Yet this is what he said. He says in 2 Timothy 4, The Lord Jesus 
will rescue me from every evil work and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Jesus is our light and our rescue. He rescues us from evil, from danger, not necessarily in the moment when we face it in this life. He doesn't necessarily give us the good life now. But he rescues us from evil and danger, ultimately, to bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. He will strengthen us to persevere in faith. He will save us from those spiritual dangers, from those things that threaten our eternity and bring us safely into his kingdom. Do you rejoice in that? Are you glad about that? Do you put your hope in Jesus for that, for heaven? Not so much in the earthly aspirations that you can come up with, but in the heavenly joy that we will have when he comes and gives us life eternal. Do you know and believe that the Lord who walked on water, who was in control, is also in control of your life? Do you think that the Lord who gave his life for you doesn't, doesn't know what's best for you? Won't he rescue and, and take us through every danger and all darkness so that on the last day we're there in his heavenly kingdom? What do we have to fear? Jesus is the Lord of all. He, he's for, he is with us. He is our light and rescue. He gives us eternal life as we turn to him and believe. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks that the Lord Jesus will rescue us from every evil work and bring us into his heavenly kingdom. Father, we thank you that Jesus revealed uh, the light of his glory to the disciples in the darkness. We praise you that he revealed that he is Lord of all, powerful and to be feared. We thank you that he showed us that he's come to be with his people, to rescue them and bring them home. To him be the glory forever and ever, we pray. Amen.